Hello, and welcome to the Food Freedom Body Love Podcast. I'm Dr. Jillian Murphy, a licensed registered doctor of naturopathic medicine and the creator of the Food Freedom Body Love Method, a system for helping both adults and children make peace with their bodies, weight, and relationship with food so they can pursue health in the most relaxed and enjoyable way. Hey, and welcome to today's little mini-sode of the Food Freedom Body Love Podcast. Today I'm talking about competent eating. I thought it would be interesting to talk just a little bit about what the process is like when I work with children, um, helping them to grow into joyful, competent eaters. And so I think, you know, we'll discuss what competent eating is. And I also want to take a look at the fact that when I'm working with kids, we also look at whether or not the parents are competent eaters and what that looks like and um, how that might play into the way that a child is eating. So essentially, if a parent is worried about their kid because they're worried that they are too fussy or finicky or picky with foods, if they are worried that their child is eating too much and is preoccupied with food or doesn't have an off button, And or there can be a combination of also worrying about whether or not they're growing and gaining weight appropriately, whether they're worried that their child's weight is faltering, so it's dropping off, or if it's accelerating, so they feel like their weight is is going up too rapidly. And I approach this from a very weight-inclusive perspective, so that's not, you know, It's not about pathologizing weight, but people do worry sometimes, especially at this day and age about where their child's at and how they're growing. And so if somebody brings their kid in, we do a really good thorough history of feeding and feeding dynamics in the household and growth. Ideally, I get weight and height and growth charts that we can take a look at. We do some really interesting things that help me get to know the family a bit better and how they eat together. And for the parents, I use this really handy dandy tool called the Satter Eating Competence Inventory. And what the inventory does is it evaluates, and I'll talk a little bit more about it, but it sort of evaluates your ability to um, feed yourself reliably and well. And we get some information, some extra information about what's going on with the family from that inventory. Um. Because ideally, people who who score very well on this on this quiz are competent. They do better nutritionally. They feed themselves more reliably. They have body weights that are appropriate for their genetic blueprint. And that doesn't mean that they're thin. It just means that it's appropriate for their their body. They have better cholesterol, lower blood pressure, even when stress tested, and fewer components of the of um, sticky plaque. Um, which is today's high-tech approach to predicting the tendency to cardiovascular disease. Also, this is right from Ellen's website. Remarkably, people who score well on this quiz are also healthier emotionally and socially. People with high eating competence feel more effective, are more self-aware, and are more trusting and comfortable, both with themselves and with other people. So it's super interesting that this isn't just about the food we put into our body, it's also kind of like a summary of the approach that we have to life. And so it's a fun tool to do, even, you know, just for yourself. So let's talk about a little bit more about what eating competence is, what this tool, this this um, inventory of eating competence looks like, uh, what the what the big components of it are. 
And yeah, anything else that I think of when it comes to exploring whether or not we are competent eaters. I'm going to start by reading to you right from Ellen Satter's work because she describes so perfectly how the inventory, the Ellen Satter eating competency and feeding competency models and inventory were developed. And then I'll talk a little bit more about the inventory itself and what the important parts are of it. So this is directly from um, the incredible Ellen Satter. For five years, Professor Barbara Lose and I collaborated to examine the eating competency Satter model and to validate the eating competency Satter inventory. The validation paper published in the fall of 2007 in the Journal of Nutrition, Education and Behavior, or it was published at that point, sorry. The eating competency model and inventory are the result of my over 30 years experience in clinical practice, where I found that I was making people miserable with my modified diets. Telling my patients what and how much to eat undermined their relaxed and positive relationship with food, destroyed their ability to eat intuitively, to eat as much and as to, to eat as much as they needed. It worsened their nutritional status and spoiled their social engagements. They felt bad if they ate and bad when they missed out on enjoyable food. Because eating is so central to life, my patients were not only demoralized about eating, they were demoralized in general. It was glaringly obvious that the harm far outweighed the benefit, so I changed my ways. Rather than trying to control or sidetrack my patients' natural tendencies to regulate themselves with ample and enjoyable food, I learned to build on those tendencies by emphasizing permission and discipline. So here's where she talks about what competent eating is. It is the permission to choose enjoyable food and eat it in satisfying amounts, the, and the discipline to have regular and reliable meals and snacks and to pay attention when eating them. Initially, my patients and I worried that such permission would send them out of control with their eating. In practice, being able to eat the foods they liked in satisfying amounts gave their eating order and stability. Foods that were no longer forbidden became ordinary foods that they could eat in ordinary ways. Large portion sizes became unappealing in the context of regular and reliable meals and snacks featuring adequate amounts of rewarding food. Healthy foods became appealing once they no longer had to eat them. As the years went on, I gradually organized my observations into a formal model and gave it a name, the Satter Eating Competence Model. My name is on the model to protect it, to keep others from giving it meanings different from what I intend. I also gradually wrote and clinically tested and retested a paper and pencil test to define attitudes and behaviors that make up healthy and positive eating. That became the 16-item ECSI, the Satter Eating Competence Inventory, that Dr. Lose and I validated and tested. And so that's what I want to talk about because there are, so basically it's just like a, a pencil and paper quiz, like I just said. 16 questions and you just fill it out and you answer each question and the question, or it's a statement really, a statement like, I experiment with new food and learn to like it. 
um, I eat as much as I'm hungry for. I tune into food and pay attention to eating. Um, I eat until I feel satisfied. So there's 16 of these statements. And then basically you're just answering always, often, sometimes, rarely, or never. And we score it. And there are four major components on the inventory that we're looking for. We're looking at your eating attitude, your food acceptance skills, your internal regulation skills, and your contextual skills. And from those four components, we have a total score that gives us your overall eating competence inventory. And so what are each of those things? The first thing is eating attitude, which is just like, are you positive about eating and food? Are you fearful about food or are you fairly positive and trusting with food? Food acceptance skills is about um, how comfortable you are with preferred foods, but also do you have the skills and the ability to learn to like and accept unfamiliar foods? Internal regulation skills depends on Um, how well you are at being in tune with your internal regulatory system of hunger and appetite, feelings of fullness and satiation, and how well you use those signals to tell you how much to eat. And then contextual skills are about, do you make meals a priority? Do you have skills and resources for managing food? Regardless of how busy you are, do you take time to feed yourself? So like I said, we're just basically getting a summary in all four of those areas and then we put them together for an overall eating competency score that tells us how good, how well you're doing at this and areas where we need to work. Um, And with children, again, it's not a direct link because there's all kinds of different things that can happen in the parent-child feeding relationship. But it is really interesting because children do learn to eat from modeling their parents. They don't necessarily learn from the things parents tell, and they can be learning from just modeling your behaviors. And so it's interesting if we have very picky or finicky children to note if one or both of the parents are have, you know difficulty accepting unfamiliar foods. It's just interesting. It's not a blame game. It's not about um, who's at fault. It's just about exploring the whole context, especially when we're dealing with children, because there's only so much information we can get from them. It sort of rounds out the picture. Um, And for adults, it just gives us like exactly where we need to work when it comes to the feeding relationship. And then remember from my perspective, um, There's also the understanding that the way that we feel about our body and weight underlies all of our eating competence and has the potential to undermine all of our eating competence. So when there are body image issues or when your weight is at such a level that you don't feel like you're appropriate or you fit in or you could ever be healthy, many of these um, categories of eating competence are affected. And so... Um, my work doesn't just focus on helping somebody be an eating competence, an, a competent eater. It's also about breaking down the barriers to becoming a competent eater. And one of the barriers is that belief that your body's wrong and that um, you really should be trying to take control and manage it. Because obviously, this model is a fundamental shift from com- 
conventional approaches to eating and body management, right? This is a trust model. And so if you are too afraid to be trusting with your food, if you are too afraid to trust your body, then you will score low in a lot of these categories because you will be trying to 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 control your food rather than tune into your body. So anyway, it's interesting. And if you are struggling with eating competence or your child is and you want some help, please reach out. This is the work that I do, the work that I love. Um, and we can make a real difference. And it, it's not like it doesn't take time to change the way that we feel about our bodies and food. It does. But we can see some pretty great initial forward movement. Like pretty quickly, we can start to see some major shifts um, in food behaviors when we approach it differently, right? So www.foodfreedombodylove.com is my website. Hello at foodfreedombodylove.com is my podcast or is my email address. And if you can, if you're getting something out of these episodes, if you could go to iTunes, rate and review, um, it really does help. It really does help me out. So Today's episode is brought to you by competent, relaxed, pleasurable eating and my new self-study program, the Food Freedom Body Love Self-Study Program, which is available at the website that I just mentioned. Have an amazing day and I'll talk to you tomorrow.